You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 49. We're going to be skipping forward a little bit, and I'll explain that in a moment. You know, Malcolm Taylor said last week, he said, wow, what worship. What a joy it has been to be in this place. And, and you know, a lot of times we just take for granted, God, you just show up. But my friend, never take that for granted. What a blessing it is. I titled the message today, When the Truth Hurts. When the truth hurts. Truth ever hurt? Oh yeah, yeah, sure can. Little boy had gone with his dad, and when he got back, he came into the house, and his mom asked him, said, well, son, did you enjoy your time with your dad? And uh, then she said, and and what did you see? And the little boy looked at her and said, two idiots and a moron. (laughs) He had been listening to his dad while he was driving. Yesterday, Cameron and I were coming back, and, and Cameron had gone to help me uh, move Jeffrey and Megan and get them back here, and I had a pounding headache, and I woke him up at least twice with a horn. Bah, bah. People trying to cut me off. You know, you understand, and I understand, especially as a parent, that we're in the process of modeling to children and young people. You know, Paul said it, follow my example. And, you know, everybody is looking to somebody to follow. And sometimes I wrote this down, you know, we model anger, we model immorality, and some things we model we need to change. Listen to this quote, parent, what are you modeling in the life of your child? What are you impressing into your child's life that may one day be staring you back in the face? Isn't that true? Genesis 49, in my opinion, is one of the great chapters in all of the book of Genesis. Because here we have Jacob, this great patriarch, who's not manipulating, stealing the blessing, orchestrating a conspiracy to get the blessing, but he, in essence, is about to give the blessing. Now we're going to look back chapter 46, 47, and 48 real quick. So take your Bible, go back to chapter 46 real quickly, and we're just going to highlight that, and then we're going to move right into chapter 49. In chapter 46, verses 1 through 6, we've already looked at this, Jacob receives a confirmation. Remember, he's getting ready to go down to be reunited with Joseph. And on his way to Egypt, he has what we call a Beersheba moment in which God tells Jacob, Jacob, it's all right for you to go to Egypt. Because Abraham and Isaac had had bad experiences in Egypt. I believe that Jacob was reluctant to go. He wanted to stay in Canaan into the promised land. God said, no, you're right. Let's go head to Egypt. 
So chapter 46, 1 through 6, is about his return to Egypt. It then moves on to talk about the genealogy of Jacob. And finally, we see in the latter part of that, the reunion of Jacob and Joseph. That great moment decades later when Jacob and Joseph are brought back together. Now, don't, don't fall asleep on me here because we've got to move quickly. In chapter 47, verses 7 through 10, and boy, that's a classic line because I think it's in chapter uh, 47. Let me make sure, make sure I'm on the right place. In verse 7, then Joseph, because now in chapter 47, Joseph and Jacob are reunited after over 30 years of being separated. Can you imagine that moment? Now Jacob, and now Joseph, who's second only to Pharaoh, takes Jacob, his father, to meet the Pharaoh, one of the most powerful figures in the world. And in this encounter, I love this, then Joseph brought his father Jacob in. He presented him before Pharaoh. And Jacob, look at that. That is a picture of the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis chapter 12, where God told Jacob, where God told Abraham, the grandfather of Jacob, he said, through you, all the nations will be blessed. You ever pronounce a blessing on people? God bless you. I'm going to pray the Lord blesses you today. And then let me tell you how to finish that. Are you a Christian? You see, here he is before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's not a believer in Jehovah God. And yet here Jacob pronounces a blessing. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Chapter 47, verse 9, And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. And so Jacob, so Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt. So here we see Jacob before Pharaoh. In chapter 47, 13 through 26, we eventually see Joseph's administrative gifts. He begins to put what I call the 20% VAT tax. Value-added tax. Because now he begins to take care and he begins to demonstrate his administrative gifts as he now walks the nation of Israel, his own people, and the people of Egypt through this famine and he takes care of them. He continues to bless all of Egypt. So here we see that. In chapter 47, 27, verse 27 through 31, Jacob is eventually calling Joseph into his home. And he says to Joseph, he says, Now, Joseph, when I die, don't bury me here. Don't bury me in Egypt. I want you to take me home. Take me back to Abraham, Isaac. Take me back to my forefathers. Take me back to where my family is buried. Take me back to Canaan. Now, I I thought about this, Sandy. I don't know if you... This past week, I don't know if Doug was kind of feeling a little bit melancholy or whatever... But Doug was telling Cameron what he wanted at his funeral. We suckered. I mean, we asked Doug to go down with us Friday to help move two loads, one of the loads of Jeffrey and Megan. And uh, we were riding along there, and Doug began to talk about his funeral. And he said, now listen, I want you and Don to preach my funeral. And he said, I want it upbeat. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm older than you. How you know you're not going to outlive me? He said, I want my, he said, I want my funeral upbeat. I want praise and worship. I want you to bring down the rafters with praise and worship. My dad, this past week, we were sitting there eating, and my dad said, uh, 
He said, son, I think I'm getting ready to sell my car. I said, sell your car? What do you want to sell your car for? He said, well, I just feel like I need to get rid of it. I said, what, what, what do you want to do that for? And he said, well, I'm going to take the money and make my prearrangements. Let me tell you, I wrote a principle down here. Great men and women of God have no problem planning the celebration of their exit. Isn't that great? Great men and women of God have no problem planning the celebration of their exit. And so Jacob brings Joseph in. He says, Joseph, let me make some prearrangements. And it's this. I want you and our people to take my body and carry it back home and bury it among my forefathers. Let me ask you a question. Have you made your prearrangements? I'm not talking about Ott and Lee. I'm talking about, have you made your prearrangements through the Lord Jesus Christ on the moment when you die so that you will be absent from the body and, you want to finish it? Present with the Lord. Have you made prearrangements? And let me tell you, the only one you can do that with is through Jesus Christ. I love what Dr. Ron Herod, who pastored First Baptist uh, Kenner, said. He said, you know, he was talking about an individual in his church and got called and said, I want to make prearrangements. And they said, well, hang on a minute. We'll put you with somebody. So they put him on hold a minute and then they put him with somebody. And he said, well, the first thing I want to ask you is do you rent coffins? And, and, and this, this sweet young lady voice on the other end, she said, sir, I, I'm sorry, I misunderstood you. What did you say? He said, well, could I ask you, do you rent coffins? She kind of laughed. She said, sir, we've never had that request before. What do you mean rent a coffin? He said, well, I don't plan on using it too long. You see, I believe in the rapture of the church, and so I just need you to loan it to me for a short time, and I promise you, you can come back and get it if you're still here. Have you made prearrangements? So in chapter 47... Jacob makes prearrangements. He puts everything in order. Let me say that principle again. Great men and women of God have no problem planning their, the celebration of their exit. Now in chapter 48, verses 1 through 22, jo- uh, Jacob brings Joseph in with Ephraim and Manasseh, his two sons. Now let me tell you, guess who their mama is? She's an Egyptian. Here Joseph is with Ephraim and Manasseh. And he has them in a position to where, Joseph, where Jacob can bless them. And at a certain point, he has, I guess he has Manasseh, who is the oldest, on his right hand, on the right hand of his blind, dying father. He says, Father, he said, this is Manasseh. He's on your right hand, which means he gets the first blessing. Ephraim is on your, on your left hand, and he's to get... And, and, and so he's explaining to his father. Now, watch this. When Jacob gets ready to bless the sons, this is what he does. And Joseph says, Father, senility, Alzheimer's, something said in here, Father. Wait, whoa, stop, Father. Don't do it yet. Let me straighten your hands out. And the Father says, no, son, this is the way it is. Both of them will be used greatly, but Ephraim will be the greater. Who does that sound like? What did Jacob do to Esau, his brother? 
What did he do to his father? He stole the blessing, the elder from the younger from the older. Well, now we come to Genesis chapter 49, and here is the story of the blessing. I wrote this down. Jacob had fought for it. He had swindled his brother. He had conspired with his mother. He had escaped with his life. He had lived as a fugitive for 20-something years from Esau, all because he longed for the blessing. What is it about the blessing? Let me give you three quick points. The first one I call a brutal blessing. What did we say the title of the message was? The truth. Sometimes what? What does the truth do? Hurts. You know, sometimes a blessing is brutal. Listen to what one writer said. All are to be blessed. In other words, in chapter 49, now you find Jacob, and he sends a message out to bring all of his 12 sons to bring them in. That's all the way from Reuben all the way down to Benjamin. Bring them all in because he's getting ready to die, and he's getting ready to give the blessing. But I wrote this down. Some blessings are painful. Some blessings cut to the core. In this case, the blessings that would be given to these sons would sting and sink deep into the soul of these patriarchs. A life-changing moment. I was sitting in my home one day in the dining room, and I came to this chapter, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. I'm sitting in my home all alone. And, and, and as I'm sitting there at the dining room table, I'm on chapter 49, and I'm, and I'm reading it out loud to my, to, just out loud. I have great worship and praise services by myself. And, and I'm sitting there reading this passage, and I'm on chapter 49, where Jacob is getting ready to bless his sons. And then all of a sudden, I begin, where he, I start reading this where he's just brutally honest with his sons. And finally, out loud, I said in my home, that's not a blessing. And I did just like that by myself. You'd think I was crazy. That's not a blessing. And I mean the overwhelming presence of God's Holy Spirit. It was as if God filled that entire dining room and he said these words, truth is always a blessing, no matter how much it hurts. I called it somewhat of a theophany. You know, truth is a blessing, isn't it? Now, in fact, let me ask you this. Do you believe that? Truth is always a blessing? Turn to your neighbor and ask them, do they agree? If truth is a blessing, then what do we sometimes do with it when people tell us a truth about ourselves? which sometimes may hurt us. Number one, I wrote this down, we run from truth. Is that not true? Sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. We get in and out of relationships, in and out of marriage, in and out of jobs, in and out of churches, in and out of pastors, in and out of friendships, in and out of relationships, because somebody somewhere tells us the truth and it hurts and we don't want to hear it. I was sitting a while back with a pastor in in the Metro Jackson area, very, very strong pastor. He asked if we could meet together, and we were sitting there talking. And at one point, I looked at him and I said, Brother, I'm going to be honest. I said, You're out of shape. You've allowed yourself to go physically. And he smiled and looked at me there in Cracker Barrel, and he said, Wow. He said, That's why I wanted to meet with you, because I knew that you would tell me the truth. 
I got a text from him a while back. He said, I've lost 11 pounds and I'm getting ready to pray around the, uh, to do some prayer walking. Do you have any individual? You know, we called it every individual. All of us need a brutal, honest friend. Brutally honest friend. Those individuals are worth their mint. You know, I wrote this down a lot of times when we hear truth. When somebody tells us something, it, first of all, we get angry, don't we? we? Somebody tells us something, and it's true, but we get angry. We respond, first of all, we get angry, we get upset, number one. Then secondly, we go away, and what happens to us? We start, we get hurt. kind of hurts us. We get to thinking about it, mulling it over. Let me tell you the third step. Are you listening? Is it true? You see, sometimes we don't like the truth. We run from the truth. Sometimes we interrupt, number two, we interrupt truth in the lives of the people that we love. I was doing an interview in Atlanta with Killing the Church with this book. And I was talking to this African-American host of a program there. And I gave him this example. I said, suppose my husband and wife are married. The husband goes to his job, comes home, and he's really upset. He's pouting. He's sulking. He's just really angry. And his wife looks at him and says, what's wrong? And, and he begins to just unload. He just says, man, the boss called me into the office. He chewed me up. He told me this. He told me that. Now listen. The wife sits there and listens to this. And you know what she wants to do? She really wants to look at him and say, he's right. But she can't. So she jumps on the bandwagon of her husband against the boss. Well, maybe you just need to look for another job. They just don't appreciate you down there at the workplace. I can't believe he said such a thing. Is that not true? You see, sometimes we, number two, we interrupt truth in the lives of the people that we, that those we love. Parents do this a lot of times. They've got to go down to the school and straighten out the teacher. Because Junior would never tell a lie. Oh, yes, he will. Whoa! I was just making sure you were awake. And for those on the website, the pastor just nearly fell off the podium. Listen to this. One writer said, go down. They want to go down. They want to straighten out the teacher. They want to coddle their child rather than confronting them. Sometimes what we do as parents is we, un, we interrupt what God may be trying to do in the life of our child and we lash out against the authority figure, teacher, youth leader, boss, pastor, look this way, and God. Sometimes you and I love our children so much we coddle them when God is trying to confront them and change them. And thereby we interrupt truth. So number two, we interrupt truth in the lives of the people that we love. There's a principle here. Listen to this. Do not interrupt truth in your life or those that you love. Why only those you love? Because you don't care about those you don't. Give them a good dose of truth. Right? We don't mind other people getting the truth. Well, I'm glad the boss straightened him out. He needed a good dose of truth. You see, truth is always good unless we're having to receive it. We don't like it, do we? Number three, we kill truth. Isn't it interesting that when Pilate... What did Pilate ask Jesus? What is truth? 
What is truth? And then he killed it. You see, sometimes that's what happens to you and I. We want to silence those voices of truth in our lives because we don't want to hear it. But listen, sometimes truth is a blessing. Let me ask you again, do you have a brutally honest friend or somebody that you can go to that will tell you the truth about you? i got a few that I could loan you. Number four... The most painful part of it is, now listen very, very closely. Truth can cripple a relationship and even destroy it. Have you ever told somebody the truth and that ended the relationship? It's over. It's never the same. Look this way. That's all right. Sometimes that's all right. Now, the Bible says Satan to truth and love, but the reality is, is that sometimes you and I have to risk relationships in order to tell people truth that will set them free and heal a lot of other relationships. This is where Jacob is. Jacob is getting ready to tell his sons the truth, and it's going to be painful. He's getting ready to bless them, but the blessing is going to hurt. In fact, I'll be honest with you. He's brutal. I wrote down here a second. It's not only a, um, it's a, it's a broken blessing. You remember Jacob at the Jabbok River in chapter Genesis chapter 32? What happened to Jacob? He met God and God did what? You remember we talked about this. The angel of the Lord dislocated his hip and Jacob leaves the Jabbok River doing this. You remember? He's limping. In fact, we said this, the Jew to this day in a kosher home will not eat the meat around that sinew, around that joint in commemoration to Jacob. God let Jacob, God encountered Jacob through the angel of the Lord. He broke him, dislocated his hip. He gave him a limp and he gave him a new name, Israel. But I wrote this question down, listen to it. Jacob said to God, he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And again, what did God do? How did God bless him? Dislocated his hip and gave him a new name. You know why? Because he liked Jacob better that way. Sometimes the truth hurts. There's a principle here. Sometimes blessings are painful. They're uncomfortable. They break us. Sometimes somebody who loves us tells us the truth, and when they tell us the truth, it's as if they've almost dislocated a limb. It's as if they've crippled us. But we look better now walking this way than we did this way. With chest back and uh, shoulders back and chest out and pompous and arrogant. And all of a sudden somebody brings a truth into our life and it breaks us to the core. And all of a sudden now we're limping through life. But we're far more usable by God when we're that way. You see, these are the patriarchs. These are the head of the 12 tribes of Israel. These are tribal heads. Listen, when we stand in heaven one day, the 24 elders, many believe, will be the 12 apostles and the 12 patriarchs. Jacob had to confront his sons and tell them the truth, and it would break them. 
Some of their problem was Jacob's fault. Jacob's getting ready to tell them the truth, but the reality is that some of the truth is the result of Jacob's witness and how he had raised his children. Let me give you an example. When we went to Zimbabwe, we went to the first mission meeting that was out in the, it was out in the, you know, and, and, and out in the middle of nowhere. It was just out in the middle of Africa. I mean, it looked like Africa out of a movie. We went in to eat our first breakfast. We got there that evening. We went to eat breakfast the next morning. And we looked in the bowl of oatmeal, and there were weevils in it. And so here we were with our four kids, and we kind of looked across at some other missionaries, and we said, does your oatmeal have weevils? Oh, yes, yes, go, go ahead and eat. We're not going to eat weevils. They're bugs. And the kids were all sitting there, Dad, Dad, Mom, there's bugs in my oatmeal. What do you want me to do? And you know what the veteran missionary said? It's all we got. You're hungry, you'll eat them. And then a missionary told us this story. He said, let me tell you the story of a, of a weevil, a bug in your oatmeal. Year one when you're on the field in Africa. You don't eat the oatmeal. Year two, you pick the bugs out. Year three, before you go home and furlough, you eat the bugs and call it protein. And you may say, well, what does that have to do? Because Jacob is in the process of blessing his sons, and as he addresses their different personalities, and as he's getting ready to give a blessing that's going to break them to a degree, the reality is is that some of the problems in their lives are the result of the things that Jacob has done to influence their lives. Does that make sense? Now stay with me and we'll close in a moment. Listen to the principle. Parent, listen. The danger of parenting is we model a mentality that we first avoid the world, then we begin to pick out the world and try to consume it, and then finally we consume the world. Is that not true? At first, when we first get saved, we think, well, I'm not going to watch that show. Then eventually we say, well, we're going to watch that show, we'll just skip over that part. And then finally we're just sitting there watching the show because we don't care anymore. And the children that are around us are beginning to see what we're allowing to come back into our lives. And let me tell you what happens. As that begins to be instilled into their life, God will sooner or later have to break that. And it is ugly when he does. Well, there's finally a third one. I call it a brash blessing. Jacob is about to break his sons with the truth. We won't get to one, we'll get to one son, we'll look at him briefly, and then that's it. That's it. But imagine this scene. From Reuben all the way down to Benjamin, the cry goes out in the shepherds. I mean, all out there in the fields, everybody come in, dad's dying. You remember when Malcolm Taylor said that his brother came out and said, get in, I think dad's dead. Dad's dying. So all of a sudden, here's the 12 sons, and the, and the word is given, dad's dying, everybody get in, everybody come quickly, dad's dying. The old man, weathered and warned, broken and weary, and the twilight of his life, leaning against his staff, the result of God touching and breaking him, is drawing his last breaths. And look in chapter 49 at what he says. Then Jacob called for his sons, and he said, Gather around so that I can tell you what will happen to you in these days to come. 
Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. You have all of the sons. Here they are. They're coming in. Don't leave yet. It's going to get better. But you have all the sons coming in. And so here Jacob, here Jacob is about to give the blessing. And this is an important point in the life of a Hebrew family. And he begins with Reuben. And he says in verse 3, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first son of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Boy, he sounds good there, doesn't it? I mean, man, when you first read that, you think, man, firstborn. Hopes, dreams, legacy, dynasty, man, Reuben. This is Jacob saying, Reuben, when I held you in my arms, I thought about all the potential and, and all that you could bring. Man, he's just going on and on. He's like a, I read a story of a boy that was going off to college and his dad walked out as, ever getting, as the boy was getting ready to get in the car and leave. And he said, son, he said, remember who you are and whose you are. Remember who you are and whose you are. Let me say this to parents. Parent, listen. Make a name. Live a life. Leave a legacy that your child can build on. Jacob looked at Reuben. He said, Reuben, there were so many hopes and dreams. So much in you. So much. I want every dad to stand. Only dads. If you're a dad, I want you to stand. Dad, I want you to listen. I'm going to read it a second time. I want you to listen, Dad. Make a name. Make a name, live a life, leave a legacy that your child can build on. Did you hear that? Make a name. Did you hear it? Make a name. Live a life. Leave a legacy that your children can build on. You can sit back down. We'll close in a moment, but listen. I remember one time going to a plant. I was a high school kid getting ready to start college, summer, trying to build up a little money. Went to a plant over here in Jackson. First of all, there was an African-American driving the fort truck. And he, and, he, and he slowed down, he looked at me and he said, are you Ledger's son? I, I said, yes sir, I am. He turned around and looked at other people in that plant and he said, that boy's dad is one of the smartest men I know on this earth. And he went on to brag about my dad. And I tell you what, that, that African-American driving that Ford truck, he loved me and he watched out for me. And he didn't know me from Adam. It was just strictly based on who I was and the legacy and the life that my dad had lived before him. My dad had treated him with respect and he knew that I'd been, how I'd been raised and I would do the same. I walked into that plant engineer. I meant the plant manager, the head man. I walked into his office one day and the owner of the company was there talking to the plant manager. I walked in and the plant manager stopped and said, Hey, Ron, I want you to meet Ledger's son. This is Jeff. I, wasn't, I made boxes on the floor out there. I was a nobody. I was a nothing. I want you to meet Ledger's son. And then the plant manager looked at the owner of the company. He said, that boy's dad is one of the finest men I know and one of the smartest men I know. You want to, you want to imagine how I was packing boxes the next rest of the day? 
I'm Ledger's son. I make boxes here at this plant. I went to Philadelphia when he was in a plant there. They had a, they had a, uh, in Philadelphia, the city there, and, and they had the, a plant open for everybody to come and see. And so the public were coming and watching all these, pr- uh, you know, these presses and all of these things. And, and, and all of a sudden I, I was, I was standing off over there when a man with his wife and a couple of kids and he got down like this and he said, you see that man over there? And he's pointing at my dad. He said, you see that machine there? That man right there built that. You see, what Jacob was saying to Reuben is, Reuben, you have failed to be the leader that God has called you to be. You need to be an example. You need to leave a legacy. You need to live a life, Reuben. Wake up, son. Because Reuben had not done that. You remember when they sold Joseph into slavery? Reuben put up a weak attempt to try to stop it and couldn't. His brothers didn't have no respect for him. And then you remember Reuben just bought in on it. He was the oldest of the twelve. Where was the leadership? Where was the example? Where was what God... Why didn't he chase down the Ishmaelite slave traders and go get his brother? Why didn't he own up to his father when he came back in? Why didn't he be the leader, be the example? Jacob was saying, Reuben, wake up, son. You were my might, my strength. You were excelling in power. There was so much promise. But watch what he says in verse 4. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. He was saying, son, you're unstable, you're unreliable. He speaks to his personality, his future. He was saying, son, I need you and I need your strength. James Dobson tells a story. Everyone will know as a parent. Dobson says when a parent is riding, and this is years ago, but when a parent's in their car and they're riding along, when a parent, when a mom hits the brakes, what does she instinctively do if the child's on the front seat? You see all the mamas doing that? And dads do that too. You reach over and you hold your child. Dobson says this, there comes a day, now listen closely, young person, there comes a day when your parent is on the passenger side, the, the child is driving. They're a grown adult now. And he said, all of a sudden, the child hits the brake. They instinctively go to the parent. And Dobson says, that needs to happen. Children need to grow up. They need to be responsible. And they need to step up and begin to provide what their parents have so long provided for them. And Jacob said, Reuben, you failed. And you may say, well, this is really depressing. Was there any hope? Yes. If he listened to his dying dad because Jacob was telling the truth. Let me, let me close with this. I promise, give me three minutes. There's an elephant in the room here. And the elephant is this. If you've not been going through the book of Genesis, you don't know it. But Jacob had two wives. He had Leah and who? Rachel. He had two concubines or two extra wives. They were Bilhah and Zilpah, right? Okay. Reuben, his oldest, slept with one of his wives, Bilhah. 
That's the elephant in the room. So when Reuben steps forward and Jacob is getting ready to bless Reuben, you know what the other 11 are doing? This is going to be good. This is going to really be good. Now, listen, what, listen to this. In fact, you can go ahead and stand. Where did Bilhah come from? Egypt, whatever. But ultimately, who gave permission to bring Bilhah into the home? Who? Rachel, but who? Jacob. Bilhah was the result of Jacob agreeing with Rachel and allowing Bilhah to come into the home. Now listen to this real quickly and then we'll close. Where did she come from? Jacob's compromise, number one. Rachel's impatience to wait on God to give her a child. And it resulted in great heartache. Two principles here. Jacob's compromise brought temptation into the home. Second principle, every parent of every small child or teenager, be careful, parent, what you bring into the home because you may be able to handle it, but your child can't. Alcohol, smoking, steps from cigarette to a joint are not really that much. Sexual programs, loaded gun, snake the enemy. Let me close with this story. Listen to this. Two boys in Canada, seven-year-old and a four-year-old, spent the night with a friend. They had the best time. They're spending the night with the neighbors, you know, with the neighbor and friends. They went to, they did all kinds of stuff. I mean, they went everywhere. They did this, they did that. I mean, they were, they just were, uh, they just had a great day. And at the end of the day, these little boys went to bed. The next morning when the man got up, the father, the neighbor, these boys had spent the night in his home. He got up, they, they, the boys didn't wake up. They didn't wake up. They didn't wake up. Finally, he went in there. And the ceiling had caved in and a big over 100 pound python about 15 feet long had crashed down in that lower room and had killed both of those little boys, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And that's not the first story we've heard about that, is it? Do you know why Jacob had to have that conversation with Reuben? Do you know why there was so much pain and hurt in the family? Because Jacob had compromised long ago with the enemy. And the outcome of that was it literally destroyed a relationship with a father and a son and it decimated a family. Was there any hope for Reuben? Yes. But Reuben would have to listen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank You, Lord. We love You. We just give You all the glory and honor. And Lord, this is... uh, As we're closing out the book of Genesis, dear Lord, I, I think to myself, wow, what a... What a hard way to end it. And we're not through with it yet as we look at these other sons, but we realize that sometimes, dear Lord, in our lives, those voices of truth, sometimes, dear Lord, loving voices. Jacob wasn't trying to hurt Reuben. He was trying to help him. And Lord, we thank You that Your Word is truth. And we thank You that, Jesus, You are truth. You said, I am the truth. And we can either kill that witness, that beginning touch of our heart by the Holy Spirit. We can either either harden ourselves against that or we can reach out in simple childlike faith and 
receive that truth, the Lord Jesus Christ, into our hearts. We know, dear Lord, as we begin to grow as a Christian, that sometimes the truth can be painful as we address things in our personality, things in our life that we know are contrary to everything that you stand for. We know, dear Lord, that sometimes truth hurts. And we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can put our fingers in our ears and say, I don't want to hear that. But sometimes that truth will set us free. Sometimes the freedom is from bondage to behaviors and attitudes and things that we picked up in our personality from others and from life and from whatever it may be. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll somehow use this message for your glory and your honor. And I pray, dear Lord, if there's one that does not know you as their Lord and their Savior, that today they might receive you. I pray for men in this room today that are dads, that they would live a life and leave a legacy, make the kind of name that their sons will one day look when their boys are grown and say, I knew your daddy. He was a godly man. He was a good man. May we live as men the kind of lives that our sons one day, even when we're dead and gone, can understand that the name that we left is to be is valued. It carries integrity. And we pray, dear Lord, if we're not that kind of man, that we will today make that commitment from this day forward to be the kind of man that our sons and our daughters can look to as an example. And dear Lord, that's not just for dads in this room, that's for moms. Because there's been many a time, dear Lord, men and women have walked in and somebody smiled and said, I knew your mom. She was a godly woman, a praying woman. I knew her. What they want to believe is that we're just like her. So Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus.